0: Okay, go ahead and have a seat. No one escaped too quickly to the coffee room, so we must be doing pretty good. Uh, Let's open our Bibles to the book of Leviticus. Well, happy Easter, everyone. Isn't it nice to have the sunshine? It's not snowing, it's not blizzarding, it's not 80 below zero. We even have the windows open. Uh, so that's exciting, celebration of spring, uh, but we're celebrating the resurrection and all that it means. I want to express uh, real quickly while we're turning over to the book, of, the book of Leviticus, thank you to Deb Nance. Where's Deb? There she is. Thank you to Deb for coordinating our breakfast. It takes a lot of work uh, to feed 150 mouths. And uh, we had food left over, just like Jesus, Uh, basketfuls Uh, of egg bake. Anyways, uh, uh, thank you, Deb, and Chris Moose handled the kitchen. Nicole, I know, did a lot of work coordinating. Thank you to everyone who brought food, and thank you as well to Heather. There's here's Heather. Heather, uh, I think, rode and planned all this um, uh, program. It's beautiful. It was wonderful, and uh, we got to see Heather's grandma somewhere that talent came from. So we appreciate you and everyone who participated as well in the Easter program. Um, mostly, though, this morning we appreciate Jesus. Amen? We appreciate not only Jesus, but the Holy Spirit and the Father who changed the course of all eternity by raising Jesus from the dead approximately this morning, a few thousand years ago. Amen? You know, we're in the middle of a, uh, and welcome as well to all of you who are family and friends visiting. We know we have family from California, we have family from Michigan, we have family from uh, Colorado, we have family from all parts of the the country. I'm sure I missed some, some, so anyways, uh, South Dakota. Uh, Anyways, welcome. Okay, Uh, we're going through in our sermons this year, a sermon series about knowing the character of God. Knowing God's character. Knowing just doesn't mean knowing about, but understanding and experiencing the character of God, filling that up so we can shine God's light out to a dark world. So we started in Genesis, and we've gotten to the end of Exodus. And what we've seen, we've seen many things about God so far, but we see in Exodus, God loves His people. His people are hurting. He loves them, and He's a warrior God, who goes and fights for them, and he redeems them from slavery. And he takes on the biggest, baddest king of all the world at that time, Pharaoh, who thought he was hot stuff, but God showed that he is the king of kings. Uh, amen? And he took out Pharaoh. Um, well, he, he overcame Pharaoh with not a whole lot of difficulty, honestly. So we get to the, book of, uh, the, book, the end of Exodus, And we see that God, something very important about God's character. God just didn't want to free his people. He wanted to dwell amongst them. And so what he sets up is all these laws, and he sets up the tabernacle. And the whole point of the tabernacle, yes, is to worship, but it is so that he can be and live and dwell amongst his people, right in the middle of his people, okay, And so God isn't just a distant God and aloof God who wants to just forgive your sins so you stop feeling guilty. And then he does his thing and people do their thing, go on their own happy way with their eternal fire insurance uh, coverage. God wants to dwell in us and amongst us individually and as his people, amen? But there's a problem. Who knows the problem that we end with the book of Exodus? Who knows the problem? The tabernacle set up, it's done just as God said, and it's right there in the middle of the camp, but Moses can't enter. Even Moses can't enter the tabernacle. God's presence and glory has filled the tabernacle. Why not? What's the problem? This is what God wants. This is what the people want. What gives? Give me, who, who knows? No one to intercede. No one to intercede. Why would there need to be intercession? Sin God didn't sin. Who sinned? The people people sinned. Okay, yeah, there's a problem. There's a problem here. God is holy, absolutely holy, and people are not. Can I get a witness from the congregation? Okay, people are unholy. All of us are unholy. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So there's a problem because anything that enters into the presence of the holy that is impure or unholy is extinguished. It's like, well, wow, boy, God's kind of mean. No, God doesn't want to be mean, okay? It's not that he's angry at people's unholiness. It's kind of like the sun, okay? The sun, our physical sun, is full of power, right? It's full of light. It's full of heat. It's full of energy, And we experience the blessings of all those things in our world today, but we are 93 million miles away. If we get too close to the sun, it's not like the sun gets mad at us, like, you dummy, okay? I'm angry with you. You, You've disappointed me. That's not the nature of the sun. It's just hot, okay? So God's holiness demands that... Anything unholy cannot enter its presence. So we have a problem. We have a problem. God has a... I won't say God's, God's desire to be dwelt amongst His people presents a problem. So therefore, we have the book of Leviticus. Amen? That presents, for the first time, in biblical explaining history anyway, it's hinted at, the idea of atonement. The answer is atonement. And so we're going to take today... To think about knowing God's atonement. What does atonement mean? And there's hints of it even in Genesis chapter three, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned and they were driven out of the garden, and then God gave them uh, coverings. Okay? That's the first real picture of atonement, God solving this problem of separation. Okay? So it's been hinted at, it's introduced and established as central in God's relationship with His people. The principle of atonement is still central today. So this is where we're going to talk about knowing God's atonement. The goal for this time, brief though it may be, is to understand experience and to be inspired to reflect this atonement to the world around us. Now the heart of the Old Testament teaching on atonement is found in Leviticus 16 because this is where we we learn of the regulations for the day of atonement. Now atonement is not just on the Day of Atonement, but the Day of Atonement is kind of like our Easter Sunday. It's kind of like where we celebrate the resurrection formally and remember specifically that, okay? The Atonement happens all the way through the year, but the Day of Atonement is a special significance for God to be able to communicate what really is going on spiritually with atonement, what is really going on. For the sake of time, this, we really need to read a book, all the book of Leviticus, we got um, Easter brunch, you know, waiting. So we won't read the whole book of Leviticus, but I do want to read a few sections here in Leviticus chapter sixteen, verse one. We're going to read about ten verses, and they're going to read why in, in Leviticus seventeen, verse eleven, what's going on with all the blood being shed and that sort of thing. And then we're going to tie it into what Hebrews teaches us in the New Testament about how the atonement is really all about Jesus. Christ. Okay, Leviticus 16, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. And if you read up about that, Nadab and Abihu didn't take very seriously God's instruction to approach him, and they entered into that like they got too close to the sun. And they just were extinguished. Okay, and so that was a warning that what actually God says, He actually means it. He actually means it, and there's, uh, you better, you know, pay attention, okay? Uh, We'll talk about that a little later. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, and he lays out, the means of atonement, to make make this okay. With a bull for a sin offering, a ram for a burnt offering, he shall put on the holy linen tunic, and the linen undergarment shall be next to his body, and he shall be girded with the linen sash and attired with the linen turban. These are holy garments. Then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which he is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell and make it a sin offering. But the but the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the lord to make atonement upon it to send it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. So let me summarize so far. He's like, okay, here's how this works. You get two goats and a ram for the day of atonement, okay? One goat is going to be sacrificed on the altar. One goat is going to be a scapegoat, which we'll find out what that means in a minute, and then a ram is a burnt offering which will be fully consumed in worship given to God. Okay, so these are the sacrifices of atonement. Now let's, let's uh, the, the, one, the one goat is a typical sin offering where uh, the blood is shed and there's life in the blood and we'll talk about that in a minute, okay? But then this other, what's up with the, the other goat, the scapegoat? Let's read in verse 20. It says, when he finishes atoning for the holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. This is not a short service. <laughs> okay? And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. So one goat, like I said, is sacrificed. The other goat is brought up, and Aaron places both hands on the head of this poor goat. Okay, And so it's symbolic. God is wanting to communicate to the Israelites a message that's very important. All of your sins, all of your hidden sins, all of your unknown sins, all of the sins of the whole community are symbolically transferred onto this goat. Okay, And then the goat is sent off into the wilderness. It's symbolic of all of the impurities and all the residuals of sin is sent out of the camp and into the wilderness. And so therefore... If what's all is impure goes out of the camp, what can be in the camp? The presence of God, the holiness of God spreading through the camp. You see how either sin comes in and spreads through, or in atonement, the holiness of God comes in and spreads through. But we have to handle the people's sin. Does that make sense so far? Okay, now what about the blood? If you notice in Leviticus, it's bloody. It's, there's blood, ever. it's kind of like at our basketball game yesterday, a bunch of us played basketball, and we won't talk about who won or lost, no, we won't, I have a limited amount of time, Mati, okay, so, but anyways, one of the brothers, who will be named Lameless, can dunk rather easily, so he was kind of, I think he was kind of showing off, But uh, in the warm-ups, he dunked the ball so hard that it caused his hand to bleed. And I was like, that's what you get, dog, you know? Uh, So anyways, blood was like sprinkled all over the basketball court. And we were reminded of how I could never dunk the basketball. Anyways, so what's the deal with the blood in the sacrifice of atonement? Well, Luke chapter 17, verse 11 and this is what we have up here, because this is essential to atonement. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. So what God is saying is that someone's very, and we've, we even call it lifeblood. So the very essence, the very soul is symbolized in the blood. And so when there's a shedding of blood, it's life for life. Okay, so now we can, we, looking back through Christ, can see where all this is going. But for the Israelite at the time, all they knew was that in order for for me to be forgiven, blood has to be shed. In the reality, it's either going to be my blood, the sinner's, or a substitute's blood. So when the blood was shed of the goat, that meant that I, my blood was purified. So the life, the pure life, really is transferred to me and gives me life. Okay, now let's let's tie this all into where is God going with this? Because we know from the New Testament that it's not the blooded bulls and goats cannot forgive sins. Where is God going with it? See, God is outside of time, and so he knew this was pointing toward. The, the sacrificial lamb of God. This was pointing toward Jesus. All right? So in, I mean, Hebrews chapter 9. I'm just going to lead a few more verses in Hebrews, and then we'll get to what this means for us today. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. So the tabernacle of the Old Testament was a shadow. It was a foreshadowing. It was, it's called a type of what really the reality is. And the real reala- reality is Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. It says, um, He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of, bull- of goats and calves, but through His own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So what, 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 what the Hebrew author is saying is that Jesus didn't offer a bull and a goat on your behalf. And Jesus didn't offer just some time on your behalf. Jesus didn't offer a system of laws on your behalf. Jesus offered his blood on our behalf. And that takes total commitment. Amen? Okay. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. It says, For the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Make perfect by this blood those who draw near. Let's read some of the, I, I think these are some of the most beautiful verses written in the New Testament. Chapter 10, verse 10. By this will... We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For listen now, pay attention now, this is good stuff right here. This is good news. For by one offering, he has perfected. Any perfectionists amongst us? What does a perfectionist always feel? Never good enough. Or bad. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified or who are being made holy. There is your answer to your perfectionism. Your perfectionism is found in the blood of Jesus, not in your performance. And lastly, these are our last verses. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Problem solved. Remember the problem? How do we have the presence of God, a holy God, and the presence of a sinful man in the same dwelling? Right here. We have confidence because of the atonement the atoning blood of Jesus, Uh, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. I'm going to skip down, or I'm going to read a little more. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's skip down. down, So far, it's it's all all good news. You know what? There's bad news associated with this. So we started with, if we try to enter God's presence outside of the atoning blood, we die. We need to stay sober-minded that that didn't end with Jesus. Let's read verse 26. For if we go on, this is Christians, this is people who have repented and been baptized and made Jesus Lord... He says, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. See, this verse isn't read quite as often today, but it's in the Bible because it's true. But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of, of the living God we ha- there is a grand delusion that we think we're a Christian nation and we think if we somehow believe that Jesus existed that we're covered listen that is a false message okay Jesus offered himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sins but we better take it with the reverence that it deserves and therefore repent and be baptized and follow Jesus amen and walk in the light because if we go out of the light we can lose we go out of this atonement atonement and we go back into the state we were outside of the atonement which is death because we will all enter the presence of God someday i want to know i want to make sure i'm entering the presence of God in the blood of jesus are you with me there Okay. Oh, man, this is, uh, I, this is going a little long, but I think it's worth it. So, Easter bakes wait, okay? <laughs> Four characteristics relating to the ritual of the Day of Atonement. Amen? Number one, the comprehensive need for atonement. The great high priest needed as much atonement as the worst of the sinful amongst all of the Israelites. Okay? Everyone has fallen short. Everyone needs this message. Everyone needs this sacrifice and this blood and this empty tomb. Everyone. There is no one better than anyone else amongst this crowd today. It's like, well, excuse me. You obviously didn't see all of my goodness this past week. The most righteous acts, the most righteous acts are filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. So get off of your self-goodness and get on to Jesus' goodness. Okay? Aaron had to make a special sacrifice for himself. There's no favoritism in Christ and there is no boasting in Christ. Number two, the sovereignty of God in the atonement. See the sovereignty of God all throughout this process. God initiated his dwelling amongst the people. Okay? God instructed the people How to dwell with him and how he could dwell amongst them. God provided the own sacrifice of atonement. So, yeah, he provided the goat. Yeah, he provided the goat back then, but he provided his only begotten son. That's the real provision. Amen? Okay. So, God provided, and therefore, God glorifies himself through this process. Okay. You are not that special. We are not that special. The sovereignty of God is at work yet. Understand this. The sovereignty of God does not negate the obedience required on the human for atonement. There's confusion. Say, so, well, it's all God or it's all people. Calvinism versus Arminianism, if you want to get technical. Well, God just does everything and people don't have a choice. Or people do everything and God just... No, it's God does everything and we better do our part or we're out. That's the truth, Okay. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 says those who obey the gospel. This is the gospel. And it's all God working. But we better join the work of God. Of our own free will. See Nadab and Abihu as bad examples. Okay, they were extinguished. Number three, the purpose and result of atonement. The purpose of atonement is twofold. Number one, it's forgiveness. But number two, it's restoration. Forgiveness and Restoration. We understand forgiveness pretty good, but we don't understand the restored oneness that God really wants. The presence of God living in us. Oneness, intimacy, emotional physical intimacy with, with Jesus. There's no separation and no shame. The Garden of Eden restored. That's God's vision. And lastly, the experience of atonement. The two goats dim- emphasize two different things and the burning of the ram the other about the removal of sin the symbolic importance of these sacrifices is so detailed that the three actions were necessary to display everything that God wanted to communicate the Israelite to experience in the atonement it was a costly atonement the goat again didn't give some milk the goat didn't the lamb of God didn't give some fur or wool he gave his blood it's costly amen um It's complete, life for life. So if the the thing died, that's a complete death, and that means I get a complete life. All the residuals are removed from the camp with the goat going outside the camp. The residual guilt, the residual shame, the residual issues, all removed. You know, it's interesting in history, we have the veil torn in the temple when Jesus died, and we have this goat removed. Historically, there's stories of that goat tries to get back in the camp. Okay, And historically as well, someone went and sewed back up the veil that was torn in two. And I think that's symbolic of how Satan, though we're forgiven and though we're set free, that goat tries to get back in our camp. Are you with me there? And that veil tries to get sewn up so there's still separation. Listen, if Jesus separated the veil and in him there's no separation, there's no separation. Okay? And what takes, some of us who are guilty souls are like, oh, I don't know, can I really trust it? If he did it and it's finished, it's finished. It is finished means it is finished. And the empty tomb means it's empty, it ain't there no more. That means you can be free. Free, free. I just have a trouble. Do anybody else have trouble with that? I do. I feel, oh, I'm not good enough and all this kind of, okay. Um, and it's complete in it, It's consuming. The complete offering, the complete consumption. Romans 12 says, offer yourselves as a completely consumed living sacrifice. Do you just come to church on Easter? Do you just come to church on Christmas? Is that all God gets from you, really? One little wedge of your attention and time, really? That's not complete consumption. That's, That's not good enough. It's not good enough. Don't treat God like your little passing fancy. He's a holy God. See verse 19 through 26 about falling into the hands. Amen? So what's it mean for us this morning? And then we'll have announcements and contribution. Catherine will be much nicer than me. (laughs) To the casual soul, this is what the atonement means. To the casual soul... Be warned, there's death all over the place in atonement. If you don't get serious and treat God with the respect that He deserves, your life will get worse. And in the end, when there's death, you'll be outside of the atonement. So be warned today. Be warned soberly if you're casual in your ideas of God. If you're a guilty soul, kind of like I described, I don't know if I'm good enough. Listen, if you are in Christ, have full assurance. Wait a second, you just said I should be afraid. It's tough, I know. But there is, actually, once we revere God the way he is, the depth of assurance is overflowing. Because we can approach God with confidence because we know we've repented and we've made Jesus Lord and we've been baptized into Christ. Be assured, you're cleansed. The guilt, the shame, the residuals are removed as far as the east is from the west. Don't let Satan sew that veil back up. Don't let that go back in. Say, get out of here, goat. You're gone. Okay? That would be an interesting conversation with yourself, but you know what I'm saying. To the hesitant soul, lastly, to the hesitant soul, don't let this Easter just be another Chocolate, marshmallow, puffed bunny. (laughs) To the hesitant soul that, yeah, I I think I believe in Jesus, but I don't know if I'm ready to go fully in, fully commit, fully surrender. i kind of comfortable in just giving him a little. Listen, we're just hesitant. If Jesus did this for you, receive deep conviction about what you will offer all of yourself for him. Romans 12 says this is our reasonable act of worship. Jesus gave all for us. Why should we just give a little? We want to give all for him. Amen. We want to give all so that the hesitant soul receive conviction. As we know God's atonement, we understand it, we experience it and we shine this light. Let's celebrate the resurrection and celebrate our complete forgiveness and restored oneness with God. Amen?